This is the Team Clear Coat Podcast. We're two friends finally doing something about our obsession with cars. We're probably not doing it well, but it should be fun. We might actually learn something along the way. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. And this is our show. Dave. Ian. Dave. Internet watching us. Dave. Welcome, everyone, to the Team Clear Coat Podcast. We're an automotive podcast. Allegedly. We are going to get to our interview with Alex Roy in just a second, but we wanted to introduce ourselves, and uh, we didn't get to plugs, so we yep. wanted to plug uh, Alex, where you can find Alex Roy, uh, on Twitter, at AlexRoy144. Uh, he is uh, the editor-at-large at thedrive.com. He also has his own podcast called Autonocast, uh, and that's autonocast.com. You could get that link on his Twitter account as well. And you can find us, uh, all of our particulars, yep. at teamclearcoat.com. Dot com. Please enjoy this uh, great conversation we had with Alex Roy from a uh, storage unit on the floor of the New York <laughs> Auto Show. We had a fantastic time. We could talk to him for hours. It, yes. it was amazing. Amazing. Alex, we, we seriously love talking to you. All right. We won't stand in the way of you anymore. Enjoy. Ian. Dave. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. We have with us in the blanket fort via Skype, via Mitsubishi storeroom at the New York Auto Show, Alex Roy. Uh, who's, hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for having me. So for anybody who doesn't know Alex Roy, he is uh, editor at large for... The Drive. The Drive. Uh, former Cannonball record holder and uh, notorious snappy dresser. Exactly. Oh, and an expert with all things autonomous. <clears throat> I, if anyone can be an expert, because you know, I, there's really it's amazing to me how many people I meet in in sector executives at car companies who have no idea what they've invested a billion dollars in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. So let's get right into it. Um, we so we we talk about this a lot on the show, and there's a million different directions to go with this discussion. It's such a broad topic, really. Um, but just our background, really quick, is we're both IT guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I work in the government sector. Dave works in healthcare, so we're used yep. to kind of the bureauc- thinking about the bureaucracy end of it too. Right, and the uh, infrastructure end. Right. So we we've been kind of concentrating on you know that nexus of of technology, where enthusiasts fit in, and like public policy as well as kind of like the privacy stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, so, question for you: um, you, uh, you guys, either you guys have say pilots' licenses? Ever flown a plane? No, we. I have. I have right seat time from when yeah. I was a kid. My dad had a had a pilot's license, and I had, I had probably like sixteen, seventeen hours of right seat time. I did not know this. We're I, learning new things. Yeah, I got to fly in a glider when I was in Boy Scouts when mm-hmm. I was a wee lad, but but that's about it. I, I'm I'm really interested that you brought up uh, aviation because obviously from from an article that you talked about augmented driving. Yeah versus yeah. autonomous driving, there's a lot of factors with the aviation industry that can scale into autonomous cars. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I just uh, today, uh, Captain Sully, you know, whom I interviewed a few weeks ago, uh, retweeted my article uh, where I suggested that semi-autonomous driving was a mistake, uh, or, or at least it's not as good as it could be given the underlying hardware and software, and that the same hardware applied to augmenting human driving would be safer than having a semi-autonomous solution. Sully gets this. Anyone who has a pilot's license understands this this theory. Uh, and he got uh, all kinds of pushback on his Twitter account from people who said, but it's safer, it's safer. 
The real problem we have with everything related to autonomy is nomenclature. The majority of people, including policymakers, do not understand the difference between automation and autonomy. And then when you say semi-autonomy and semi-automated, there's additional layers of, of confusion. And I'm, listen, I'm not an engineer, but I understand it uh, enough. And I've also had more seat time than I think anyone outside of Tesla in a Tesla, uh, you know, driving across country using autopilot. And it's this confusion which is muddying the real, real conversation. So what you guys do is important. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, that kind of brings us to one thing that we've talked about before uh, that we, we had as a topic to talk to you about is, you know, with, especially with the semi-autonomous stuff, you know, the, this mushy middle ground mm-hmm. that we're in, the safety aspect, you don't really get a lot of those benefits because when you're asked to take over, especially as, as, uh, as layer three and layer four or level three and level four uh, start taking prevalence, uh, the situation you're going to be handed isn't necessarily going to be an easy one. Uh, so your skill level needs to be higher, really, uh, right. if you're going to be the backup for the thing that's supposed to be really great at driving. Right. Well, you know, I've noticed, you know, all right, so I've gone cross-country to Tesla three times at faster speeds using autopilot, which is really a level two system that is perceived as three because it's such a good level two system. Right. Uh, and we've gone across faster and faster with fewer and fewer disengagements. Uh, but there's no question that when I get into a modern car that's not a Tesla, my skills have atrophied. I'm a worse driver uh, because okay. I assume that everything will behave the way a Tesla will. And, uh, and I, I think really, I'm not even convinced that the problem you described, which is the transition problem, I'm not sure it's the transition problem that's the core problem. The, the problem is, the, is that once people assume such technology is standard, like I have a friend who is very high-ranking official, government official, um, at a, an agency pertaining to this topic. He just bought a Volvo S90. He right. loves it. And he says to me, and a Volvo S90 has a, a good ADAS system that's kind of almost level two. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, I drove to Maine and back almost completely autonomously. He complete, he, for him, it's a binary thing. When it's autonomous, it's autonomous. It's not semi-autonomous. And so, um, and as a result, not only, even if he has skills, he's just throwing them out the window. He's volunteering to pretend they don't exist. And so, because of the atrophying of human skills is occurring at a faster rate than the improvement in semi-autonomy, you have a gap between what autonomy can do what people perceive it to be able to do. And that's way more dangerous than transitions themselves. Uh, right. George Hotz, have you discussed Hotz at all and comma AI? We, we haven't talked about him, but I, I'm very familiar with his work, you know, from the iPhone jailbreaking to PlayStation jailbreaking and his comma AI autonomous car solutions. Yeah. So, so a great example of, of a tremendous oversight, and it's a really a failure on the part of ev- literally every car manufacturer is Tesla least guilty of all, but still everyone's getting it wrong is you know, if you get into an Airbus um, and you have what's called flight envelope protections, so no matter how much you push forward on the control stick or pull back or left or right, the you know, angle, pitch, and yaw are limited. And assuming there are no hardware or software failures, uh, the, the plane is literally uncrashable. Right. So, so um, you know, in a Boeing, you have similar protections except that you can push through the haptic feedback and the human can override it. In an Airbus, uh, you can't. Okay. But, but conceptually, these envelope protections are the same. So, uh, you know, get into a, uh, get into, uh, so in an Airbus, or a, well, in an Airbus, 
should there be a hardware failure, the system kicks down from what's called normal law to alternate law. That means there's been a hardware or software failure, and some aspect of, of the flight controls must be taken over by a human. So that is as close as you're going to get to, I guess, a transition in a plane uh, in terms of uh, as a corollary to what we talk about in cars, semi-autonomy. In a plane, the transition from normal law to alternate law is pretty fucking clear. <laughs> 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 but you get into anything. I mean, literally any car made, even a Tesla, and those transitions are not clear. There's no transition warning system. There's an enga- a little engagement icon, a tiny little green wheel on the bottom of, of the dash, and maybe that's it. In a Volvo, it's not even audible. In a Tesla, it is. Oh, wow. Yeah, to Tesla's credit, after the fatality and, you know, some other incidents, um, they they upgraded the system to include an Airbus-type lockout. So if you have three hands-off disengagements, the system will not let you re-engage autopilot until you stop the car. And the whole dash will start flashing. Now, in a Mercedes or a Volvo or anything else, there's literally, there isn't even a a ring or a, a buzz, nothing. It's just a little icon that just goes out. Wow. And so transition warning systems are a critical feature, which must, ex- you know, in order to make humans capable of taking over, they have to be notified. And so the manufacturers have done literally no work in this area of any value. George Hotz, the reason I bring him up, and I, I imagine your audience will understand this, most audiences won't, you know, uh, is he's got, he is probably more advanced, at least in what I've seen as a, in a transition warning system than any manufacturer. Uh, so before he canceled the comma, the comma was the comma one uh-huh. his device. Yep. Uh, I, I got a ride in it, and on the left side of the display, which substituted for the rearview mirror, and it was big and bright and better than any manufacturer's dashboard display. Uh, there was a meter which had a timer countdown, which counted down how long before you had to put your hands in the wheel, which okay. keeps you pretty alert. And the meter would accelerate based on uh, on based on whether you were in turns and speed. And it had many audible warnings. And it had a, basically a confidence meter built in. And when the car was losing confidence, you would put your hands on before the disengagement. And that is a huge advantage over what any manufacturer has done. And that's that's where people need to go. Well, and that, and that kind of goes back to yeah. what you were talking about with your with your friend about um, you know the the idea that au- augmentation or Autonomy is is a binary system. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's where some of the disconnect is. Maybe it's that's it's, it. it's driving that conversation to a more analog uh, system. It, you're absolutely right. You, I mean, augmentation uses all the hardware of autonomy, but it provides a a behavioral floor to the autom- to the automation above which the humans are, must always act. But for augmentation to work, there must be mandatory hands on functionalities. Right. And the instant that you take your hands off, the car will stop, which is probably what cars should be doing today without any autonomy. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we complain right. about Tesla's failures, but they're not failures. They're failures of a human to understand their own skill deficits. So in, I, in IT, I have this motto and I, and I live by this motto. I, I, I firmly believe that whenever you're experiencing something weird, like some server is quote unquote freaking out, that the system is always behaving as it was designed to behave. Right. Right. We're just not getting the behavior that we expect yeah, right? right, and so we have to figure out what that discrepancy is between why we don't, why we are not getting the behavior we want, and what we need to do to get that behavior. Problem exists between keyboard yep. and chair. Yeah, 
Yeah. 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 yeah always. Always. I mean, technology is always as good as our understanding of it. Yeah. And everything else is a lie we tell ourselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting that we we seem to have like people seem to have that that comfort level with with like oh things aren't going to always work out with technology but once the once those same principles are applied to other things that they're used to just working without thinking about it uh you know that they they can't apply those same principles to cars or to yeah. you know internet of things when you know yeah. vending machines oh, get hacked things, you know oh, man. <laughs> like that's the worst thing in the world oh um, yeah internet yeah. of shit for sure yeah. yeah i love that that twitter account yeah absolutely so so just to kind of t- take a little detour on on our show we play a game called fmk cars it's the game fuck mary kill but with cars okay and so okay. Normally, uh, we give you three cars, and you have to assign FMK. Fuck means you I, get get to drive it for a day. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, I warn you, you know, I, although I'm super into cars and i super into autonomy, I only drive old-school analog cars. I, I don't like new cars, but try me. Go no, ahead. No, no, yeah, I, I think you're going to dig this. I think you're going to dig <laughs> this. So, so because these are car- this is uh, obviously catered to you. This is the vein. This is going to be in the vein of your expertise. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So F is you hit it and quit it. You get it for a day. M means that's your daily driver. That is what you're living with. And K means you're killing or crushing that uh, scenario. So in in this, this one's called, we like to title these because we have too much time on our hands. Uh, This one's called Code Brown, insert 50 cents to continue. And so I I don't know how familiar you are with video games, right? Or specifically Uh, older games. I played Civilization, every generation of Civ. I mean, almost into a drunken stupor. Yeah, Sim that's City, me, yeah. Sim yeah. City, every generation, Civ, and now it's War Game, Red Dragon. So I'm nice. deep. It's Railroad Tycoon, the Sim Earth. Okay. Very, so. Okay. All right. All right. This, this are, we all, are we friends now? Are we all cool? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, 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 we're doing good. <laughs> yeah, you and Ian are fast friends. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in this one, you have a Tesla Model S, right? And I mean, you know, it doesn't matter, battery pack, whatever. But what, specifically what we're talking about here is what happens when you have to take over. That transition. That, that transition, that disengagement, right? Mm-hmm. And how you interact with the car from there. So in the first scenario, coming out of autopilot it's going to put you in a Mario Kart type situation. You don't see reality. You see Mario Kart, but you have to steer your way out of it and, <laughs> and, and drive it like that, okay? Like, like on, the, on the display on the inside of the Tesla. That's all you have to go off of, just the display in the Tesla. You're right. playing Mario Kart, but it's your life. Yeah. Uh, the second scenario is Iron Man Ivan Stewart's Super Off-Road. I don't know if you remember, remember this game. It had a kind of a top-down view, and you you had a nitro button that you could keep hitting and, and go blasting over the jumps. Yes, yes, I know that game. Okay, so yeah, so when something happens, you are you know the sc- the windows black out, and you have Iron Man Ivan Stewart. Lastly, uh, is Grand Theft Auto Four or Saints Row something like that, <laughs> like th- that third-person type of view. So if you if you uh, have to. If you if you're picking FMK, which scenario would you like more? Uh, definitely the Grand Theft Auto scenario. Okay, uh, all right. That's just I me. Mean, it's just my yeah. I mean, it does right. not, I just really I mean, like yeah. punching hookers. That's all. That's <laughs> yeah. going to be the title of this episode. It, it, Alex Roy talks about why he likes <laughs> punching hookers. I should I should probably mention that I have deliberately 
avoided playing Grand Theft Auto past like two minutes right, of the right. original release because I knew I loved that game too much. Yeah, um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm actually cold turkey on all driving games because oh, if you okay. think about it, you, yeah, totally because cool, you can never, you'll always be beatable. The best driver in the world is beatable, right? And and psychologically, I can't handle it. <laughs> you have an issue That's with hilarious. that there's always someone faster well it's gonna it's inevitable but i'll tell you this the, my whole obsession with semi with autonomy has nothing to do with safety in okay. general okay okay here's my theory so uh you know 10 years ago i went cross country in 31 hours set the cannonball record and seven years and i knew that was breakable by another person and it made me crazy and then this guy went across country in 28 hours. Right, the and Mercedes. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, which I think is very tough to beat, someone asked me, well, can you break that? And now you see where I'm going. I'm like, right, yeah, right. I right. can break 28 hours, 50 minutes. Right. If everyone else was in a self driving car, then everyone is safer and I'm still human driving. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, there's only so much intellectual bandwidth in the car that's going fast. And so if I had a semi-autonomous or fully autonomous car and I could hack the speed limits, then I could totally break 28 hours. Okay. And because I'm in the car, the risk is still mine. Right. <laughs> and therefore, I could take the record back. That is the, my sole motivation for okay. leaving autonomous driving. I want everyone to be safer while I continue to, I guess, service my human motivations. And I think that's an important uh, psychological component to everything in the future of cars and driving. People I, need a cathartic outlet. I, yes. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because on our, on our show, we talk quite a bit about how this autonomous future can exist or augmented autonomous future can exist while us, the automotive enthusiasts, still have our space to operate. Right, so we can give, we can give commuting over, but we retain driving. And so right. I, I feel like the next, I don't... I, I think the timeline that a lot of people have presented uh, of of where we're going to be as far as full autonomy is a little optimistic, but that timeline probably does map to where we need to be involved in the discussion. So it's not like, you know, oh, it's time to take away your toys. Wait, what happened? You know, um, well, where do you, where, where do you guys live? We're Den in Denver. Mm -hmm. All right. So, I mean, if you, I think if you take a map of the United States and you look at voting patterns, and you look at gun ownership and gun laws, mm -hmm. and uh, you can start drawing a map of where you're going to see autonomy propagate first. <laughs> right. So obviously, blue states, urban areas, yep. um, and then interstate corridors, mm -hmm. and this patchwork quilt. And there are places where it will never be mandated. Yep. There will be places where it's mandated quickly. Um, I, here's a question for you guys, which I don't know the answer to. Um, all these manufacturers are talking about deploying, you know, level four and five in urban areas, right. and yet that's the hardest place to deploy it. Yeah, right. But it's also the most profitable place to deploy it, right? And because they're not in the trucking business, right, so, right. <laughs> so logically, you're going to have, you know, level I think like three, uh, three trucks. Yeah, you know, be out in the interstates, and then there'll be a few places, cities like low density urban areas, Sweden and Norway, with level four and five. And then in the United States, they're going to be fighting it out. It's going to be horrible. Right. And you only have a few places you can use it. So this is, again, a binary press story narrative. But in real life, it's going to be just a long slog. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> and, and that, that gets us to another thing we always talk about. So in IT, there's this, uh, there's this concept of the OSI level or OSI layers for 
um, for how computers talk to one another. And so those are like basically you run through all seven layers to figure out where your problem is. And they run from like physical to application. So there's also a concept called layer eight, which is all the bullshit that people put on top of everything, right? And at, we, we think that uh, with, with this technology that basically at some point technology solutions provide diminishing returns until you start addressing those layer eight problems. And nowhere is that more apparent than in the city, right? <laughs> right. Because, because then there's, you know, you can't, I don't think level five doesn't happen without infrastructure uh, being integrated into the system with, you know, car to car communication and then car to infrastructure communication. Right. Um, and just simple shit like making sure all of your, uh, turn signals are standardized or your, uh, your, you know, your, uh, intersection lights are standardized. Um, you know, so th- those are the type of things that people need to start thinking about now. Right. Humans need to start solving those problems. Right. Those are layer eight problems. And at some point we're going to, like I said, you know, we're going to run out of technology solutions for these things, I think. I agree. I mean, I think technology will be resolved a lot sooner than the political component. And then you have the cultural component. Um, right. There is a, you know, people always say you got to keep politics out of car talk, but there are things that are inherently political. And yep. so yep. Uber, Apple, Lyft, all these companies have enormous lobbying dollars being spent in order to compel state and, and federal you know, organizations to enable them to replace mass transit. And then in the current political climate, you have you know, cuts to transit budgets. And then I think last year, I think somebody who has Uber lobbied to remove the federal requirement for X number of parking spots for uh, new developments. Right. So you reduce uh, parking spots, yeah. it pushes people into mass transit, which is getting cut, which pushes them into Ubers. And uh, you know, in New York City, uh, recently, there was a pilot program with a flat rate, like multi-pass, like Fifth Element, like a flat rate, 90 bucks a month, unlimited Uber pool, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. weekdays. Hmm. And oh, you can wow. see, yeah, you can see here the beginnings of the privatization, of the, uh, almost the forced privatization of transportation. And so all you have to do is add a law that says no human-driven vehicles or internal combustion vehicles, or both, eight to eight, you know, weekdays, and then you have the end of human driving in, you know, droplets. Right. So, um, I'm that's that's completely separate from the argument as to whether humans should be allowed to drive, because it, it can be argued that certain people should not be allowed to drive. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> but, but, but in a country where driving is a privilege, not a right, and people drive drunk and get their licenses back, I think you know, Sully spoke more loosely than I ever could. But, you know, we live in a society of there's laws and then there's like civil courtesies. We pay each other. And if everybody drove the way they wanted to, if we didn't have just a common, you know, common belief system in terms of behavior, uh, nothing would function. Right. <laughs> nothing. Right. And so right. people need to be really realistic, but not just what tech can do, but about what level of death they're willing to live with. Um, and clearly people are willing to live with 35, 40,000 deaths. Um, and they may not be willing to give up their freedoms to reduce that number to 10. Right. right. That's, that's the, the, the friction. Um, no, well, I don't have the answer. Although I think we need a human driving association like the NRA. And I think that association should aggressively embrace uh, higher drive licensing standards yes. ahead of regulation. 
There you go. Yes. For, yeah, that's my belief. Yeah, as uh, long as it doesn't turn into the NRA where we end up uh, just protecting manufacturers um, and really, really are an enthusiast uh, advocacy group, then yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's something weird going to happen. It's, it's, <clears throat> people say driving is like smoking, but it isn't. It's really more like gun ownership without uh, an amendment. Yeah. Because there are people who believe that they have the right to kill themselves in a car, <laughs> you know, right. and uh, and how do you convince them otherwise? But there's a, there's a deeper thing. Um, a lot of people, people, you know, there was a time, you know, in, in society when or, or the rite of passage was kill a lion or, you know, right. or, right. or you get a, a spear a shark or, you know, hunt uh, or f- kill someone, you know, in combat. And so in the modern, in the first world, certainly in America, you, there's what is the right of passage? It's the driver's license, and it's the first, you know, kind of literal and figurative, uh, you know, uh, cathartic aspect of freedom. Like in your hand, it's a card. It means everything. Right. And so, if you take I mean, the way people drive, is says as much about them as what they drive. In fact, it's like two axes of the same, you know, uh, you know, the same need for expression of, of the soul. And so, you could take away if you take away people's freedom to choose. The, to, to drive to, to drive at all, how are they going to express their angst in the morning before they get to work? They're more like they didn't get to work in a bad mood. They didn't get it out. Right, um, right. There's something deeper and more fundamental than what you know investors in Silicon Valley are thinking about here. So. Well, and I want to circle back to one thing that you talked about because this was a, a, a topic that came up on the drive recently. Of uh, you mentioned that people complain about about uh, politics being brought up uh, in, in car discussions. And we've talked about before how that seems just cr- super absurd since yeah. our our hobby is the most like inexorably tied to politics of any hobby in the country. I mean, yeah. every everything that we have for cars, especially you know post war, is because of a political decision that was made. Right? Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, the reason we can't have skylines or whatever it is, it yeah. all goes back to some political decision that was made. Um, yep. So I, I always think that people are being really hilariously naive when they when they say stuff like that yeah uh so do i I mean i try to get stay make not attach these debates to individual politicians but kind of to general political themes Mm -hmm. um but the left and right like notions of like liberal conservative have almost no meaning in this space um because they're inverting uh they're inverting rapidly Mm -hmm. and they're trading places so it's almost irrelevant if you're you know take the time to pay attention to what uh, is actually happening. Uh, you can see the problem is above politics, it's right? Well, and it's and to accept in technology and set in versus safety. That's what it is. Well, and I and I and I would advocate for people thinking about uh, when they when they hear the word politics, really kind of uh, thinking about the word policy and not religion, which is sort right, of yeah. like where we're at yeah. in the country right now. But uh, yeah, that's where uh, like like these these Tesla guy like you know when every time Tesla has a fight with a local franchise dealer network, mm-hmm. it, it's it, it it makes me ill. I have really good friends who are Republicans. I have great friends who are Democrats. You know, but in like uh, was it Michigan? Like all these dealership associations, yeah. their argument is always the same. You know, is that they're protecting consumers by giving them choice, right. which is horseshit because competition, if you believe in capitalism, is essential. Right. So their you know, their protectionism is is fucking outrageous. Nobody likes car dealers. Right. Um, and car dealers have a big problem in the autonomous future. What is their role? Yeah. Ex- exactly. Yeah. They're they're you know, protecting their necks, yeah. Yeah, they're like the subcontracted service. They're like the subcontractors for Foxconn. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's interesting you brought Foxconn up too because Apple's another one who's kind of thrown themselves into this fight a little bit with uh, uh, the right to repair stuff that's been going on. Them yeah. lobbying against yeah. farmers in Nebraska, you know, saying people yeah. are gonna kill themselves on iPhone screens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in, in New York recently, the largest non-Apple service center just shut down their retail operation to just focus on the business market um, because of how much pushback they're getting from Apple sure. and you know parts and this and that. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, you guys remember it, like 1996, there was an Apple clone? Remember yes, that, yeah, I do. Yeah, the beige boxes. Yeah, the Apple yeah. Power PC clones. Yeah. Hang yeah. on a second. I've got to move locations because the, the kind people at Mitsubishi need the space back. And oh. this young man who's been helping me, Nick, you're the greatest. No problem. I love Mitsubishi. Thanks, Hang Nick. On. Hang on. Thank We're going you, over Nick. here. Hang on. Um, I love this. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is real, uh, you know, auto show verite. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, guys, is this okay? This is yes. great. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. If you see uh, a so- high-level executive from uh, an auto manufacturer go into the restroom to dump out, let us know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're cool. Um, yeah, I was really upset when that Apple clone shut down. Yeah. And, and Tesla is pulling this kind of thing now. You know, got to go to the Tesla dealership to get the car uh, yeah. serviced. I mean, what's going to happen? You know, I think someone told me, I would love you guys to educate me. You know, I know that the law on spare parts for cars, I think, is seven or eight years after cars just continued. Mm-hmm. Manufacturer has to manufacture the parts. Is that is that true? I think that's it's around there. Yeah, it may even be ten, but I don't I don't want to say that. But it's some it's somewhere around there. But yeah, so that, is, we we've talked about that with support models because automakers are not set up to do software support for things. That's that, my question. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. So what happens? Like I I'm a big fan of like the game uh, Harpoon and Falcon Four. And like the, I guess the aftermarket community mods and upgrades those games has been going on for now 15, 20 years. Right. What happens to like a Gen One Tesla? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, are those going to be things going to be permanently upgradable? Um, I'd love to know. I mean, I actually am kind of optimistic about Tesla's policy there because I don't think they want people's cars to get bricked because of software problems. But like you could like this, uh, the last Mercedes I drove, an E Class which had better hardware than a Tesla, um, but all the software associated with the radar and the different uh, sensors was siloed and was not holistically integrated right. through HMI in any way. And so I asked Mercedes if the, if the car could be updated, and they said, well, the maps could be updated at a dealership. Right. But even if it had OTA capability, it's not, it's not for the entire Right. OS of the car, the way a Tesla is. Yep. And even if you hate Tesla, you can see there's some wisdom there. Exactly. And um, this, this, you know, the Europeans who've been much better about privacy have also shot themselves in the foot regarding, uh, uh, you know, functionality updates over OTA. Uh, so this is a, an incredibly fascinating war for me. So when I get into anything but a Tesla, it feels like junk. Yeah. Not because the cars aren't good. But because I want, if there's a software glitch, I want it solved. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Six years away, six fucking years. So I think, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think that's maybe not necessarily even the privacy issue. So I, I work, uh, you know, federal government uh, experience my whole life. So I'm used to huge bureaucracies and how those silos end up, you know, end up happening. And I feel like uh, the it's not going to be necessarily a Gen 1 Tesla that we're going to have to worry about. It's a Gen 1 autonomous GM vehicle that's going to be oh, yeah. the really bad one, right? Yeah. Because that company is is so... Like, those silos made, make sense for when you're 
manufacturing hardware. You know, you want someone who's going to design the best wiper blade ever, and you want someone who's going to design the best steering wheel ever, and those two people don't necessarily need to talk. But right. when it's software that runs the whole thing, that's right. essentially taking the place of the human, right. you know, now we're going to get into this situation where do we try to hammer this, these legacy bureaucracies into agile software developers? Right. Or do you go third party with that, and then what's that support model? Right. 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 Oh, it's going to be awful. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine. I mean, I'm trying to think of like weird, crazy edge cases. Um, but you know, I, there's a kind of a there's a little game, and I, I like to play with my friends in media who talk about uh, autonomy. And it's like, at what point does someone sue a manufacturer? For having an autonomous vehicle that, that is racist, and I'll give you, I'll tell you why, why that, that's funny is okay. because you know that there's going to be different levels of machine learning, right? Okay? Right. <laughs> and each of these levels is based on you know interpretation of you know frames and yep. recognition of people in different lighting conditions, and yep. you know someone's going to have a really good system and someone's going to have an incrementally inferior system, yes. and that system is not going to stop at the right place to pick up a passenger, <laughs> and yep. that passenger is yep. going to be is going to be black, and they're going to be like, what the fuck? Well, and, <laughs> and so yeah. you know, how do you update that unless you have fully connected like, right. your machine learning and you start spitting out like ten million more? face images. Yep. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. HP actually had that issue. They put out this, this version of their webcam software a few <laughs> yes, years ago I remember that this. would track people <laughs> as they move left to right. And then there was the black guy that came into frame and the camera was not moving whatsoever. Just nothing happened. Yeah, racist ass HP. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah, why it, we have Lenovo's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. There is a lot more of that coming. So, since we're th- th- we actually that actually dovetails nicely into our second round of FMK cars that that we wrote for yeah. this. Yeah, you're you're gonna like this one. You'll like this one. It's a it's another it's it's actually an offshoot of a very similar thought experiment. So this is called augmented by stereotypes, cars with typical augmented driving catches. So basically, you have augmented driving, and it very neatly fits the stereotype of like who owns this car. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first one is a Volvo S90. If if your glasses frames, you wear glasses in this, are not thin enough, the car will jerk forward like your dickhead friend used to do whenever you try to get into it. So it's basically going to judge you on how you're dressed. You're probably going to be okay. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) The second one is a Rolls-Royce Phantom. You, it will not allow you, talk about envelopes, this, the envelope on this one, it will not allow you to navigate to within half a mile of a payday loan store. <laughs> so like, so think about like maybe your favorite Thai spot, you know. Those it, shady Thai spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, the best. The Torta place that we love to go to. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. going to have to walk that last half mile because <laughs> the rules isn't going to let you get there. Yep. All right. So the, the last one is a Lotus Exige. It's kind of a bitchy car. Uh-huh. If the car feels that you're getting a little pudgy, it'll just automatically turn on the turn signal by uh, anytime you pass a gym. If you really start to put on weight, it'll just start slamming on the brakes until you steer yourself into the gym. Ooh, whoa. You know, something I actually, I would, my heart's with a Volvo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I would take the Lotus because people who drive too much get lazy and, and, <laughs> and, and, and I'm one of them. I'm, I, it's true. 
Uh, I, I guess I'll take the Lotus. Yeah. All right. that, that, that's kind of like, well, I understand that this medicine is the best medicine for me. So. <laughs> well, but what you're describing is like an automotive episode of Black Mirror. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's pretty it, much it, our show. Yeah, <laughs> if I had to get on a treadmill for an hour before driving my car, well, I would be a much healthier person. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah. yeah. We all would be. That would be a little awkward. We always talk about how we we set up these situations, though, that like end up being pretty awkward. So, like, you know, you you get called really urgently. I need you down here at the hospital right now, doctor. And you're like, you arrive all sweaty, and they're like, what what the fuck? <laughs> oh, I had to stop at the gym. Right, my car wouldn't yeah. let me pass gold. I I yeah. decided to have a voodoo donut two weeks ago, <laughs> and and now I missed the knee surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So uh, one one last thing I, I, we I did want to talk to you about was um, you know talking more about uh, you know public policy and 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 its approach to uh, to autonomy. So in Colorado, a, a bill is actually working its way through the legislature right now, and I think it may already be on its way to the governor's desk. Um, that it's it's a very like hands off sort of uh, laissez faire approach to autonomous driving, uh, and it's basically saying that. Anything zero through three, we don't need to deal with. Um, but uh, from a legislation perspective, from a legislation perspective, and that's in now in in law. That basically we're just going to use existing law to deal with all that stuff statewide for Colorado, statewide. And then the other thing is that it prevents um, municipalities and cities from enacting their own legislation that goes above and beyond what what they've enacted at the state level, which is not much. Um, and, and the people who have sponsored it have basically said, well, we don't know enough about yet about where the technology is going, so we don't want to stifle that. But we talked before about you know, how technology is going to at some point reach a point of diminishing returns. When do you th- where do you think that line is? When, when do you think government does need to step in and start standardizing infrastructure or standardizing communication between cars, uh, those sorts of things? Um... Uh, probably right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Five uh, years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think five years ago there was any, no, anyone, you couldn't even have a discussion. I think they should probably start by standard. Well, first of all, if you go look at the, um, SAE autom- auto- uh, automation level chart, mm-hmm. um, and you look at the definitions of two and three, they're almost identical. Yeah. I'm actually unable to explain the difference between two and three using the definitions they provide. Right. Uh, and, and actually, I don't think any manufacturer, no manufacturer advertises their technology in the marketing materials as on that level chart, right. which indicates the irrelevance of that chart. Right. They talk about in the future about level four, which is the first meaningful uh, jump, but everything short of that is nonsense. ADAS should be on the chart, but isn't. I mean, the, the chart is, is shit. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no context for it either, right? So it like level three or level four on the highway is far different than level four in a city center, right? Correct. And, you know, uh, and the idea of an augmentation system, like a super ADAS Mm -hmm. doesn't even fit on the chart Mm -hmm. at all. Right. So that's the first stage is to define terms. I think it should be, it's, it's very simple. There, there a guy named Alan Kornhauser at Princeton who heads up their autonomy grad, the program. He says there's only three things. There's safe driving cars, there's self-driving cars, and there's driverless. Driverless loses the wheel. Yeah. Safe driving cars is where we are now. 
but no, but with a is a continuum of improvement. Mm -hmm. right. That's augmentation. And then self-driving cars is level four, and then you've got driverless. And that is, I think, a much more useful set of terms. And the other thing that the government should do immediately, which would not in actually, well, I don't know if I don't think it would stifle innovation. They need to uh, mandate or define disengagements. So when the yeah. California DOT releases reports and stock prices move based on these reports, which have no real world meaning, um, that it's, it's insanity. It, it's, it's, it's insanity and it, it does, it's not helpful. Right. Um, you know, Tesla in the, a year and a half ago, if you went to the Cali DOT site, you can do this now and look at the old, the history of old reports. You always have Waymo, uh, you know, with the lowest number of, of disengagements and then the suppliers are at the other end. But then Tesla it actually, amazingly, they would actually state zero disengagements. Oh. So quickly, that's impossible. That's, right. it's they're either not testing cars or their definition is different. And it's clearly the definition is different. So, and the, and the obvious difference is voluntary versus involuntary. But even within involuntary, there are different types of involuntary. So without these definitions, the, di the, the dialogue around this entire sector is literally meaningless. And um, I don't think defining terminology would stifle innovation at all. Yeah. Well, and I think this is a good, another good place for enthusiasts to sort of start help, you know, helping to drive the discussion a little bit more because obviously automakers want a lack of regu regulation, right? Because somebody wants to, somebody wants to develop the VHS while someone else is working on Betamax, right? As, right. As, especially when it comes to like car to car communication and stuff. So, you know, if this is where our like soapbox thing of like, if we, if we want, driving to exist in the future, we probably need to be involved in the conversation now. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, usually, as, as Pepsi said, join the conversation. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, um, yeah, uh, the enthusiasts have their head up their asses mostly because, I mean, and I, is there any bigger and dumber enthusiast than me? I mean, I'm an idiot. I love human driving. But, uh, you know, the only organizations we have, the SCCA mm -hmm. and then the local CCA chapters, which are fractured by brand, in brand verticals, yep. um, are not operating on a political level. Right. Uh, you, and the, I am not aware of any organization other than the National Motorist Association, the NMA, I think out of Wisconsin. I think it's like eight people in like a fucking strip mall. And <laughs> at best, they publish articles about um, traffic camera policy, mm -hmm. which – it puts enthusiasts in opposition to rational laws. Like we need there speed of some kind. There um, you go. Instead, yeah. Instead of engaging on real topics, you know, if, if enthusiasts took the lead in, um, drivers education and safety programs, I yep. mean, aggressively, I mean, right. Much more aggressive than we've ever seen on, really on, in, on a, the way the NRA does it. Um, and it's ironic that the NRA is protected by the Constitution and yet is still so aggressive in defending it. Mm -hmm. Whereas human drivers who have no legal protections from losing their licenses in the future are, the are, are, are so lazy. Um, that's incredible. You know, and I always say to, to you know, street you know, when kids who like to street race meet me and then they say, oh, Roy, I want to do what you did in the Cannonball and X, Y, and Z. And, and then they brag about getting tickets. Mm -hmm. I say every time an enthusiast gets a ticket, they are putting a nail in the coffin of all human driving. Right? Yeah. Because they're feeding yeah. this machine 
which exploits our, uh, one of our pleasures and by catching us when we're weak. Yep. Right. Uh, and that is, you don't need to be a libertarian to agree with that. So, right. Well, and I, I yeah. And I, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of the other things that we need to, you know, we, we, we've done, I think as enthusiasts, a good job of pushing back against the street racing thing and kind of, yeah. you know, adding to that stigma right. a little bit. And I think, political disengagement or even a little bit libertarianism, we probably need to address that as well. Like we can't all be thought of as like Jeremy Clarkson's, you know, right. uh, you know, we, we call, we, we all can't have that attitude or right. our toys will get taken away from us, whether it's by, for climate change reasons or yeah. autonomy reasons or whatever. Um, I'll leave you with a very brief, uh, data point. Uh, Will Wright, the inventor of the Sims, the Sim City, I'm sure you know familiar yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. So what most people don't know is Will Wright, when he was 24, he won the uh, Cannonball Run race successor called the U.S. Express oh, in wow. a Ferrari in 1981. Oh, and wow. he speaks so lucidly uh, and I, uh, about the importance of, human, of, of driving. And he said that he, he claims that driving a car well is uh, the purest form of uh, and was the original – Man machine interface mm-hmm. because when you have a car accident, you don't say my car had an accident, you say I had an, I accident. Had an accident. It's a seamless, yeah. just seamless relationship with the vehicle, even if the, there isn't a seamless relationship with the vehicle back to us. We feel it, the vehicle feels nothing, right? And, um, and that relationship is decreasing with the rise of, of technology of any, t- of any kind. Um, and yet, uh, our ability to use uh, machines well is something which for which we derive analog and emotional benefits. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's, that's great. something we don't we shouldn't lose. So. That's very well put. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And, and you know, yeah. I know it wasn't the most convenient time as you're sitting on the oh, floor yeah, by the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, um, we we cannot thank you enough for this. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, well you come to New York, we'll go out for drinks on me. Vice versa, and if I come to Denver, I'm going out. Yes, Definitely. for sure. Definitely. <laughs> if you're if you're setting another transcontinental, you know, speed record, let us know. We'll stand by the side of I seventy. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, actually, yeah, I want to give one shout out to someone you should meet. Do you, you know a guy named Chad Phelps? No, no. This is a buddy of mine. Uh, in, lives in Denver with a car collection. Who's also a deep uh, tech guy. Who's an awesome human being. Does an event called GTCon, um, and. Uh, you guys should meet, and I'll talk to you about it next time you come on my podcast. Yes, so. yes, for definitely. sure, All right. definitely. All right. All right. Thank you, Alex, so much. Take care. All right. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Bye.